Machon Hartzion, an Orthodox Jewish organization, offers educational programs in Israel about the Jewish faith for everyone who loves the God of Israel. Machon Hartzion opens its doors of spiritual knowledge to Jew and Gentile alike. Machon Hartzion stands to share true spirituality with people of all faiths. Visit www.hartzion.org. That's H-A-R-T-S-I-O-N.org. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. You've tuned into the Noahide Nation show here on Israel National Radio. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and my good friend and co-host, Adam Penrod. Hello, Adam. Hey, Ray. How's it going? I'm okay. You doing all right? I'm doing very well. You sure? You sound a little tired today. If if I if I sound a little tired, it's because I am a little tired. Oh, okay. But, you know, that makes sense. That, that's that's okay. I'm, I, I actually I'm storing my energy for this show, <laughs> and I, an important show it is. It is. It I really mean, is. I, I think we've picked a, a, an excellent topic here because it is is going to help us do some outside of the box thinking. Sure. I believe uh, it has to do with God's holiness. So this ought to be a very interesting hour, and we're certainly glad that all of you could join us for this hour. And just as a reminder, we do always enjoy receiving your emails, so please do keep them coming at noahide at israelnationalradio.com. Now, in terms of God's holiness, uh, I guess what we probably need to do is look at, uh, starting at Leviticus 19.2, where it says, well, we're basically asking the question, what does it mean when it says, you shall be holy, for holy am I, Hashem your God. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that, that um, this is actually a, a point where a lot of people get a little bit confused, because they say, um, well, God says here, you shall be holy, for I am holy, and there seems to be a, a confusion, well, what does this word holy mean? Right, it's being used in connection to God, but it's also being used in connection to human beings. Right, because you know, nineteen one says you shall go tell the children of Israel. So he's telling the children of Israel, you should be holy because I'm holy. So people get a little bit confused about this. What does it mean? Uh, some people think it means that you should be perfect. Others think it means you should be sinless. And is that what it really means? Because if you pick both of those two things. You start running into some problems, right? Well, I'd say one of the immediate problems is what is the definition of perfection and by whose definition are we going by? So, I mean, really perfection is all in the perspective or is in this case the eye of the beholder. Sure, absolutely. Now, if you you want to say perfection means you'll never do anything wrong, well, it's impossible. That's absolutely an impossible standard for human beings to fulfill. Right. Well, and we also know that, that Noah who was found righteous in his generations, and he walked with God, uh, he certainly wasn't perfect in the sense that he never committed a sin. Right. If, if there was uh, that capacity, I mean, Teshuvah really wouldn't need to exist. But Teshuvah exists for the purpose of being able to recover from having committed a sin against Hashem. And it seems unlikely that God is going to tell us to do something we can't do. Right. You know, if, if, you, if you go out and you tell a man who has no legs to run the Boston Mar- Marathon or you're going to kill him, right? W- w- you know, what does that make you? <laughs> yeah. 
right? It makes you evil. <laughs> right. So, you, you know, we, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. And I say imagine. I don't think we really have to imagine. I think it's impossible that God would command us to do something because he's a just God. Being a just God means that, you know, I, I think I, the way I would understand it is, is that, he, you know, justice has to work within a system of what you can do or what you can't do. You know, and, and as human beings, we even hold the standard with, with individuals. We, you know, if we're going to, to judge someone to be culpable of a crime, we, we have to, you know, sometimes we have to look at the situation. What situation were they in? You know, uh, did they did they go out and, and steal a car because they chose to do that? Or was somebody, you know, holding, holding a, a gun to their a, head? A gun to their or, head, yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, it's in that kind of situation, it's like, well, you know, he, he didn't want to steal a car. He, you know, it was against his will, and, and uh, but he was forced to. So, you know, we have to kind of look at things in that way. So this, this notion that, that, you know, God requires us to be perf- perfect or sinless uh, seems a bit absurd. That's what God really wants, you know. But the reason I think people get confused is because God says, I am holy and you'll be holy. You should be holy. Right. Right? So God's saying, I'm holy. So people go, well, what does holy mean? Right? Well, God is perfect. God is without sin. Yada, yada, yada. So they start taking these qualities of God and saying, well, God's telling us that we should be like him in these ways. Well, excuse me. Really? <laughs> you know, should we also be like God in the sense that we are eternal? Should we be like God in the, in the sense that uh, we are omnipotent, omniscient? You know, what, you know uh, where do you begin and end? So this is where it helps to do something very important when you're studying, and that's read the context. Read the context. Don't, don't just, you know, get stuck on one verse and go, how do I figure this out? I don't understand, right? Right. You know, read what's going on around it. You know, holy, in the larger context of, of uh, Leviticus 19, has more to do with, uh, well, even we'll take Leviticus 11 through 21. If you even read it in that broader context, you've got dietary laws, you've got laws regarding people who have, contracted like uh you know what we call leprosy which isn't really leprosy um laws of what kind of food you can eat what kind of food you can't eat what kind of uh sexual relations you can't have can and can't have uh what makes you unclean versus clean of course all this is talking about israel all these things are directed right right at israel right so you know we have so so we look at this larger context and, and i think what we start to realize is is that when god is saying you should be holy it, the, the better understanding of it is is that you should be separate. You should be you know dedicated for a certain purpose. You should be unique in a way. And these are the qualities that God has. And so in this way, what he's telling Israel to do is be like me in, the, in, in this way, in the way that you can be holy as a human being. Because you can't be holy like God's holy. No. Right, because he tells us that there's nobody to compare to, that compares to him. Right, so there's no, that's absolutely impossible. But but as a human being, you can be holy, you can be separate, um, like I am in the, in the sense that I'm, I'm giving you these laws, which are actually separating you from uh, the other nations and are, are separating you even within the context of the Jewish people, uh, a regular Israelite from uh, a Levite and a Levite from the Kohen. Okay, so does that mean then, and I'm curious what your thought is on this, uh, is it the the acts that they are doing, the mitzvot that they are doing, uh, is that what is considered holy, or is it the acts that cause your separation 
from the rest of the, the world, so it is the separation that is holy, or, and, and finally, is it a combination of both of those that bring you uh, to a state of having the opportunity to be holy? Because when you talk about the mitzvot, these are just basic things that you are required to adhere to. And then you've got, of course, that then leads you to being set apart because you're the the, the priestly nation. Now, Mm -hmm. my question really goes to the the, the third aspect of that. Does being separated and having done all those mitzvot in order to be separated, does that then give you the opportunity to become holy? Well, I think that the very nature is is that you, you are holy to the extent that you're keeping those mitzvot. This is why if you read in these chapters, it talks about being clean and being unclean. Okay, right? so you're saying that uh, there, that in and of itself makes you holy, or are there various levels of holiness, well, I'll, do you believe? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much. God separates Israel from the nations, right? And he separates them with the intention that they're going to be holy. So he, 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 he separates them off from the nations. And so in the sense, you could say that, that, that they are kind of holy from that moment. Israel has become holy from the, from the standpoint that they have become dedicated to God's service, that they have become separated from the, from the other nations. To maintain that, that holiness, though, to demonstrate that holiness and to maintain it and to be holy, they have to keep these different laws. Now, they can, for example, if they go out and, 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 and they have a ham sandwich, right? Well, they, have, they, have, they are not keeping the law, which makes them distinct. They'd be sort of doing what the, what the other nations do. And this causes them to sin. Interestingly enough, only Israel can sin by not being holy. The nations can't be, cannot, be, uh, uh, cannot sin from the standpoint of not being holy, right? Because Israel's commanded, be holy. Right. So, you know, so, so in a sense, this causes separation, but as a group, Israel is holy because it is separated from everyone else. As an individual, you've got to keep these laws to to, to really be part of that group. Whole, that holy group, right. exactly. And it's these laws that you keep that make you holy. Now, if you you mistakenly do something that you shouldn't do, like you touch the carcass of a, a, a dead animal, you know, you have the the affliction of the skin, whatever. Then there are ways that you can actually solve this issue of becoming contaminated. And then reattach yourself or, 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 or rejoin the group, if you will. Okay. Well, I come back to uh, my, my question then, and, and maybe you've answered it, and I'm just not getting it. But are there various levels of holiness? For, for example, sure. um, oftentimes they uh, talk about the great sages right, and how they were very holy. So, I mean, by, by putting the word very before the word holy implies to me that they did more than just keep the laws. And by keeping the laws, doing all the mitzvot, they by default were set apart. But having the very there tells me that there's an, another level of, of holiness. And so and, and I guess that's my question is is the, the levels. I mean, like, you know, you got the Peshat level. Sure. Uh, you have the Sod level. Sure. You have the, the basic to the grandiose understanding. I, I think that, that one thing that we also should mention here is that, you know, the term holy, Kadash, Kodesh, right, the, the, these terms are actually – uh, this term, uh, the root, Kadash, can actually be used um, 
for, with a couple of different meanings. They're all kind of linked together, but there are a couple of different meanings. Mm-hmm. When, when we're talking about Leviticus 19.2, we're talking about really, in, in a very forceful way, way, we're talking about these laws that, that, that God has commanded. This makes you separate. This, this makes you holy when you keep these. You have to keep these, these laws in order to maintain the, you know, that, 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 that status, I guess you could say, of, of, of being holy to, to that degree. Now, Israel can't do some of these laws these days. Some of the laws, uh, it's impossible to do, but they're still a holy nation. Right. So, you know, there's a, an intrinsic level of holiness to, to the Jewish people. It almost seems like it was then bestowed by Hashem rather than, uh, dare I use the word, earned. Well, in the, well, I think that's a good way of putting it. When God separated Israel from the nations, that act of him separating them and making them a, a unique and treasured people to him made them holy. And in order to maintain consistently that set apartness, these are the mitzvot that you must follow because right. you are the holy nation, you are the priestly nation. I think it's important to, to, to realize that when God relates with Israel, there is national Israel that he, that he deals with, but then there are individual Israelites, individual Jewish people, right? And, you know, the promises God makes, he's always, the promises he makes, he always makes with the nation of Israel. That, though, that they will be a, a treasured people and that they will never be destroyed. And all these different promises God makes, it's to the nation of Israel. The, the, the individual partakes of those promises to the degree that he, he, he or she obeys the word of Hashem. Okay. But we also know that not all Jews... And uh, we won't be naming any because right. I can't. But there is nobody out there who has not sinned against Hashem, who has done something that violated sure. Hashem's Torah. Whether you're you're a Jew or a, a Noahide, or you know, or I should say a non-Jew, it doesn't matter. So even in the case of a Jewish person, they commit sins as well. Sure. So it's not the the really the act of keeping the mitzvotes that makes you holy because you can indeed violate a mitzvot and have sinned against Hashem, but you do, it's almost like a mitzvot of doing tshuva. Right. Tshuva gives you that opportunity to come back into the fold. To to repair. More, exactly. Which is what we're all here to do anyway. Absolutely. Is to rectify ourselves. So it's really not, when we ask the question, does it mean that you are sinless, Absolutely not. Right. Because it, that's impossible. It's sure. an impossibility. Sure, you can commit a sin and still be holy. Um, you just have to. You just have to repair that sin. Right. Right. right you have that obligation. Right. Um, so yes, definitely. And which would also be, you would have to believe, would be considered part of the holiness, is your willingness to do the correction. Because when we talk about doing tshuva, it's an entire process. It is not where you just you know pray and say some magic words and you're 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 magically forgiven. Yeah, it's that's not what uh, tshuva is. Even though the uh, if you were to uh, translate the word, it would be you know repentance would probably be the closest you could come to it. But in other religions, the word repentance it doesn't even come close to what tshuva I, actually I, is. I, th- I think I think when we're talking about holiness in the context of Leviticus 11 through 21. I think that the thing to keep in part is this notion of, of, of uniqueness, uh, separateness, um, because God is, is, is very often – it's interesting. There are a lot of terms that we use to refer to God 
that also end up getting used with Israel and also get used in, in a sense with the land of Israel. So the, so for example, you know, you know, God says to whom can you compare me? Right. right? In Isaiah, right. He says, to whom can you compare me? Well, in Deuteronomy four, he says, what nation is like you who has been, whose God has brought them out from the midst of another nation. Right. Who, you know, to what nation can Israel be compared to? Right. There's, Israel's there, unique. You, you can't, yeah. You can't. And so God is also unique. So right. there's this, so when God is telling Israel, you shall be holy for I am holy, what you have to look at it is in what ways can we say that Israel is, is, is like God and what ways are they able to be like God? Not that, uh, that, that there are certain things about God by his very nature. You know, we could say God is sinless, but you know, human beings aren't capable of being sinless. There's even a problem when we talk about God being sinless, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for one thing, the Torah was created for human beings. The, 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 I mean, remember there's this, there's this you know, the, there's a midrash that talks about this, this great uh, uh, debate that, that happened amongst the angels. That where the angels were saying, why are you sending this Torah to human beings? What, what, what are you thinking, God? How could right. you do this, right? <laughs> and so God says, Moses, answer them, right? And so Moses says, well, do you go outside the camp? And right? you know, he, he gives these lists of things that angels aren't capable of doing, right. right? But only human beings are. They say, no, we can't do any of those things. He goes, he goes well, we can. And this is why he's giving it to us, because this, is, this, this Torah is meant for human beings. So to say that God, you know, and, and when you violate the Torah, you're violating God's command as a human being, right. right? So, you know, how can how does God violate his own commands to human beings? You know, if I tell if, if I go on I, t- I say I say Johnny clean up your room, right, to some kid, and then Timmy's standing over here minding his own business, picking his nose, whatever, right? And Johnny doesn't clean his room, you know, do I punish Johnny for not cleaning his room? Uh, Timmy for for Johnny not cleaning his room? No. Do I punish myself for Johnny not Cleaning his room? No. Why? Because the command to clean your room was meant for Johnny. Right. So Johnny is rewarded and punished based on what Johnny does. And my commandment is is is, is relevant only to Johnny. Okay. So sense. then, uh, where are we at in terms of what is what is holy? I think that what we have to talk about is, 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 is you could say, it's dedicated for a purpose. Like we talk about the vessels in the temple. Okay. Those were created right. specifically for the purpose of being used in the temple. And that's why you're not allowed to use them for mundane things. You can't take a, a, you know, a cooking pot for the temple and then go have a big chili cookout. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> it, it's dedicated for the temple use. And also... You know there are certain foods that even you know Israelites are not able to eat. Only the only only the 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 Kohen and the, Le- the Leviim are able to eat certain foods because it's dedicated because they're part of that that uh, that holy that group of holy people with the, the holy tribe within the twelve tribes of Israel. Right. So you know so so there's this status, this this idea of, of being dedicated and being separated and being there for a specific purpose. So let's ask ourselves what is Israel's specific purpose. Oh, boy. We could answer that a number of different ways. From a Noahide perspective, I look at it in terms of Israel's role in the world is to be a light unto the nation, to basically share Torah 
uh, a spread Torah as much as you know population allows, mm-hmm. and then Noahites have to carry the the ball the rest of the way. Right. But they are also a part of their role is to bring the holiness of the heavens down to us here on earth. Our jobs as Noahites are to now take that and spread it laterally, if you will, around the earth. So, you know, there's two examples of what their role is, and I kind of threw in what our role would be subsequent to their role. Sure, (laughs) Well, you know, know, and I think the the idea that Israel is a goy kadosh, a holy nation, right, a a light to the nations, right? Their their, their job is to be a priesthood. Right. They're to be a priesthood to the rest of the world to guide them in the Torah, to to help us, you know, also approach God in the way that God intended us to, to approach them. So Israel has itself a purpose, and it's that purpose that helps mark them off as being holy because they are dedicated to the purpose of serving Hashem as his priesthood. You know, but a priesthood, you know, is worthless unless it has a congregation. And a melting pot or a, a cooking pot for, for sacrifices is worthless unless you've got people bringing sacrifices into the temple. Right. Right, so so it's de- there is a dedicated purpose for, uh, for you know for Israel, and I think that as Noahides, this is something that we need to to recognize that when we're that 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 we have this priesthood, and that it's necessary for them to be holy, that God set them apart to be holy, and it's and, and for as Noahides, it's really it's really a great thing for us. God did it for us, you know. God does a lot for Israel, but in, in, in one sense, you could look at it almost like God created Israel for the benefit of all humanity, right? He created this wonderful priesthood, you know, to help us approach God. Right, and it's it's wonderful when you think of it in terms of, the, you know, not just the, the benefit of mankind, but you think about the, the, the two tablets, Right. And the the commandments, and you have five on one side and five on the other, and and the first five are how, the commandments that deal in how to have a, a a relationship with Hashem, and how to on the second uh, tablet, you have the second five, how to have a relationship with man. It takes the combination of both of those to be to fall into that holy category, if you will. Sure. And the Jewish people are commanded. By Hashem to do those. The Rambam tells uh, tells us that a a Gentile can keep all of those precepts if they so desire. We can keep those so long as they're followed precisely. But the difference is still going to remain and always will remain is that we are not commanded to, whereas they are commanded to. Right. And and uh, therefore we're not punished if we don't. Exactly. To an extent, because right. I, I will say, there, I will say there is an interesting thing in Leviticus 18 that um, uh, the, the the nations who were living in the land of Israel were kicked out of there because of the abominations that they were engaging themselves in. But you know, once again, this demonstrates something not about the nations, but about the land of Israel and how it's holy and unique as well. Right, right. Well, that's a good place to kind of roll to, to the end of uh, this first segment. I'm sure everyone's looking forward to the next segment, uh, which will kind of bring it closer to home in terms of Noahides and, right. and you know, kind of answer some questions on, on that side of things. But in the meantime, folks, stick around with us. We're going to hit the break, and we'll catch you on the other side.
Mikvahcalendar.com is your rabbinically approved personal guide to Torah to Mishpacha observance. Times and dates are automatically calculated and explained in English and Hebrew. Anywhere you are, sunrise and sunset are automatically adjusted. Receive email or text messages for important dates and times. May divine blessings of spiritual and material well-being continue to rain down and permeate your marriage and your home. Visit www.mikvahcalendar.com. That's M-I-K-V-A-H-C-A-L-E-N-D-A-R.com. There is a famous segula that a person who goes to the Western Wall for 40 consecutive days to pray for one request will have that request answered. There is also a long-standing tradition of giving charity to have a pious Jew pray in your place since not everyone is able to make such a journey. Western Wall Prayers, 40 Days of Prayer for You at the Kotel is a project of Kolel Tfilat Moshe. Visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Welcome back, everyone. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the No Hide Nation show. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and my friend and colleague and co-host, Adam Penrod, still with me. And we've been talking about the holiness of God and what it means, what it doesn't mean, and not just necessarily the holiness of God, even though that's where it all stems from, but also people. Can we be holy? And so we were kind of closed out the, the first part of the show with the fact indeed yes we can in particular with the jewish people so let's bring it around to kind of the other side of the coin and start here with this question does god expect everyone to be holy you know i think the answer to that question is yes and no (laughs) you know i've I've often given that same response (laughs) people it makes their head hurt but you know sometimes you just have to do it right well you know clearly you know when you read all these scriptures having to do with being holy. When it, has, when it comes to human beings, it's always, you know, uh, um, specifically said to Israel, you should be holy for I am holy. Right? Go speak to the children of Israel, right? So in that, in that sense, Israel is absolutely 100% expected to be holy. Now, non-Jews don't have this command. But does that mean that, that, that there isn't some sort of expectation? Or, is, or does it mean that uh, God is, is fine with us just going over there and uh, having ham sandwiches and, and doing this and doing that? Well, I think the thing is, is I think you can take a look at um, Leviticus 18, where we see that, that God um, warns the Jewish people that if they behave in the manner of the nations who lived there previously, he's going to kick them out, just like he kicked He's going to kick Israel out just like he kicked out the nations, right? Right. So we see that there. So, you know, you have to, you you know, before the break I said that, well, this demonstrates sort of the the holiness of the land, that the land, in a sense, in order for it has to be purified, you know, from this this contaminating influence, which were the nations who were doing these acts. It wasn't that the nations – were in and of themselves contaminating the land. It was that their activities were contaminating the land. Their, their, the, related, the, the illicit sexual relations that they were engaging in, the different practices that they were doing, that's what was contaminating the land. Right. And because they didn't change their way, they got kicked out. If they changed their ways, they could have stayed. Right. Well, and also it even uh, speaks to it agriculturally. Though there's a whole host of things that go with it, but in, in this simple sense, there's a sabbatical year right. for farming, 
Why? So that the land doesn't become contaminated. It basically gives it a rest year. Mm -hmm. Stuff still grows, but nobody is allowed to work the land. Now, of course, that isn't adhered to today. Once, uh, you know, Mashiach ben David is once anointed, all of these practices will come back into play. And, you know, we'll have the Jubilee year and all of these types of things. But it was basically designed from a farming standpoint, agriculturally, not to uh, basically pollute the land. I mean, you're overworking it. It's got to have one year to rest. And well, it's, you, know, you got to have more than that. And it's, I mean, when you get to the uh, when you get to the seventh year, because actually out of the, the seven years, I think you're actually only allowed to plant and reap three or four years out of that period of time. And this is because that part of... Uh, the Jewish system of laws is that it emphasizes emunah, or faith in Hashem. Right. Right? Because there, because one year makes sense. One year we can see that. We can see going one year to replenish the soil. But two years, three years, four years, right? Yeah. How in the world? You, I mean, you're just talking about getting nervous, right? Right. You know, you're getting nervous because, you know, are, you know, are we going to be able to, to do anything with this? But it demonstrates just like Sukkot, right, where you, you build a sukkah and you have like a, it's a very temporary dwelling. You've got the, you know, a little bit for a roof, right? It's, it's to once again sort of reconnect you with this idea of, of faith in Hashem. Mm-hmm. That everything you have is a result of relying on God. Well, in a perfect example of that was the uh, manna from heaven right. in the desert. He commanded that they were allowed to pay, take as much manna as they needed to get through that day. Right. And the whole idea was to be teaching them how to have faith in Hashem, that he is here indeed to take care of you. And if they took too much over and above their need for that day, it spoiled. It was, it was gone. Right. It was as good as not even picking it up. Now you have to get rid of it. Sure. So we, we see, in, you know, in answering this question about, you know, what is holiness uh, in people, I have to believe that emunah is part of that equation. Not exclusively. In other words, you can't sit back and do nothing in your life and just pray to Hashem for Hashem to do everything. That is not what emunah is. Even with emunah and having faith in Hashem, you're having faith in Hashem for an outcome, mm-hmm. not for taking care of you in the sense that, oh, well, you know, I don't have to plant anything, but Hashem will just ma- magically make these crops grow. Right. Because even in, in allowing, say you, you only uh, get the food harvested three times a year. Yeah. You, you still have this idea that without having the initial planting, there's no way that all these other volunteers in these years you're not planting are coming up. Mm. Well, that's what you have the faith in is that Hashem will take care of you. That is the emunah. That is the result of your work in advance. So still, uh, I believe that the partnership does have to exist in order for the holiness to exist as well. Now, what does this mean for uh, Gentiles, for you know, guys like you and me and uh, you know, a great many of our listeners, Adam, who aren't commanded to be holy? Can we achieve holiness, number one? Uh, number two, how do we do that? Uh, is there a way to do it? It's interesting sometimes to look at the children of Israel as a parallel because even within the, the, the Jewish people, there's sort of a parallel relationship because you have within Israel, you have the priesthood, and then you have your regular Israelites. You have the other tribes, right? And that the way that those tribes relate to their their specific priesthood, the, the Levites and the Kohanim, right, is very similar to how we relate to our priesthood, which is Israel, as as a, as an entire entity. 
So within there, you actually see where, where actually your average Jew can can take on additional um, commandments. They can they can actually uh, um, do things like the Nazarite vow, right. which will actually allow them to um, enter into a level of of of, of sacredness and uniqueness and and, uh, and holiness. That in some ways is even more strict than what the Kohen has to do. Right. Right? And this is a voluntary vow that they can take upon themselves. And they can do it temporarily or they can do a lifelong vow. Interestingly enough, this is an, it kind of gives an interesting uh, idea. If a person takes on and does the Nazarite vow for a little while, for, let's say for three months, mm-hmm. it comes out of he has to bring a sin offering. Yeah, after the vow is completed at the allotted time, which they have stated before they started, sure. they one of the offerings they have to bring is indeed a sin offering. Why? Because they have brought themselves down from the elevated state exactly. that they were at in keeping the Nazarite vow. And in fact, interestingly enough, that is a vow that's talked about in Acts mm-hmm. with Paul. Mm-hmm. Because you know they were so upset with him, and you know the the Jewish many of the Jewish people wanted to you know knock the guy out because they're teaching against Torah, and yet he still wanted to teach the Jewish people. The council made him take an, a Nazarite vow, which he right. he chose he could choose not to, or in this case he chose to do it. Well, at the end of that Nazarite vow, after having convinced the people, oh, well, gosh, yes, he, he, he is holy in the sense. He can teach us. He had to bring a sin offering. Absolutely. So, you know, and this is a whole different discussion, but I may as well <laughs> conclude it now that I've got it started. It begs the question, why in the world, if Jesus has already died for his sins, why would he need to bring a sin offering for just stopping to, stopping the, the Nazarite vow at the allotted time that he'd set? Right. So, but that's for another day. But it's interesting that you brought Nazarite vow up because that's the vow that's talked about in, in Acts in the New Testament. Right. And, you know, um, so just like, you know, your, your average Jew can actually come and, and can increase their, their own personal level of holiness. You know, they can, they can either be more strict with certain laws or they can do, you know, the Nazarite vow or they can do other things. There seems to be this element that, that even non-Jews can actually increase their level of holiness, especially when you consider this. The Noahide laws, as they are, are basically they. If if you're just talking about just the negative commandments, right? The seven negative command or six negative commandments, and the one positive. That that those laws, if you just keep that, all all that you're saying is is that I have a right to exist. You'll get a place in the world to come if you're doing it for the right reason. But you're just basically saying, you know, you have no right to kill me, right? You have no right to to put me on trial, right? There is an, this element where the, the, the Noahide is in some way incomplete if they just stay at that level. They, they, they need to spiritually grow. They need to take on more. They need to, need to do more is, you know, is what it seems like because, you know, um, because this is just a, a, a very basic level of living. And I think that when you start taking on and doing additional things, you start in, in a way becoming more holy. So let's take, for example, what we talked about again, Leviticus 18, where it talks about – those commandments which caused the nations to be kicked out of the land. So those are actually part of this whole holiness code that the Jewish people have to keep for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it seems it seems that if it can get, get you kicked out of the land, it's something that as a, a, as a non-Jew that, number one, would be important to do just for a sense of personal growth. Right. But even if you want to live in the land of Israel – Right. If you want to live in the land of which, which in a sense, what you're saying is a non-Jew who moves to Israel, in some ways, it has a higher 
degree of responsibility in being holy themselves. Right. And there's actually, a, you know, it seems like from the rabbinic, there's sort of a, an extra level of holiness for such a, a Noahide. Now, even taking a, 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 a Noahide, just a basic person keeping the seven commandments, who's studying the Torah to learn the seven commandments, that person has a higher level of holiness than a, a non-Jew who doesn't do the Noahide laws. In fact, just through the act of studying Torah, mm-hmm. we're told that our level of, of holiness is similar to the level of that of the high priest of Israel who, who doesn't really know very much Torah, right? The Kohen Gadol the Kohen Gadol. doesn't know very much Torah. The, the, <laughs> if you have an ignorant Kohen Gadol, right, it, you know, our level would be, you know, comparable to him if we're studying our seven Noahide laws. So, right. so there's a certain level of holiness in, in even doing that, but, but we also have the ability as individuals to grow right. in that holiness. Well, and I think, what is that, Sanhedrin, uh, is that 56A or is, it's in Sanhedrin, it's either 56 through 56 to 59, 59. Is, mm-hmm. uh, is a good Good source material of study, anyway. Right. Uh, just for to, to find out more about uh, being. Noah. I believe it's fifty nine. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking it's fifty nine. Yeah. Uh, also, anyway, uh, so it is good to know from uh, a, a Noahide, a non-Jew perspective, that we indeed can reach levels of holiness, because I know that that. In fact, quite frankly, I think that's why some of these religions get started. They they're under this misperception that. Only the Jewish people, you know, like they're hoarding that holiness for themselves. That's simply not the case. Hashem created man equal in the sense that we are all created in his image. Right. So there's your playing field. Well, there's a certain level of holiness right there. Yeah. Being created in the image of God. (laughs) Well, you know, and and, and also, I mean, we always have to keep in mind, and and I want to keep the, I want us to keep this in mind that, that even though we can attain levels of holiness, there's still a different quality of holiness in regard to Israel from, from the nation. So there is a difference there. Because like we said at the beginning, they're commanded and we're not. We're not commanded to, to, to be holy. But um, we can grow in, in our personal levels of holiness. Right, and there's no limit to that growth. Right. So to sit here and try to figure out, okay, what is the maximum level I can attain, forget about it. Because you're not going to get there. You're, you're, I mean, you simply cannot get there. Just know that the journey of holiness is ever-evolving. and is all, There's always room for you to become more holy and know that you always can. So for a Noahide, it's important for us to know, that, you know that, 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 there is, that there is holiness that we can attain. Also know that we have a priesthood, the Jewish people, who are holy specifically from God, and to know that, you know, I think there's, there's another misunderstanding of the word holiness that which goes in line with that of chosen, that there's this idea that, that chosen equals better than. But what really what you do is if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're reading the Torah and you're, and you're understanding the purpose of Israel, the purpose of the nation, then you're understanding that this is not a, a better than situation. It's a we're all working together to serve Hashem. And we have a priesthood, and their job is to help us, the congregation, right, approach God right. in the way that God wants us to, to approach him. Right. And then we, too, have our role in taking that which we learn and spreading it to more and more people to then help them get closer to right. Hashem. And it's actually their role to bring Hashem closer to us. 
sure. as well. It's not this, you know, this one-sided thing by, by any stretch of the imagination. But in, just like a baseball team, if I'm the third baseman, I can't play third base and first base at the same time. Sure. We have two players for that role of playing baseball. Right. And, and, our, and our goal is the same, win the game, but I play third base, he plays first base. Right. It's the same thing. It might even be a good way to look at the analogy is that uh, Israel is like the pitcher. And, you know, we're like... And the catcher. You know, and then, then yeah. we're, like, we're like the baseman, <laughs> right? And and the thing is, is that um, we couldn't even play the game if the pitcher weren't part of our team. Right, right. right. But, you know, if, if all the team was was the pitcher, then there's no way there's no way we could win the game. Because the pitcher needs the backup. Whenever you know the, the balls that get past him, when he's not able to throw a strikeout, he needs he needs the people behind him to be able to catch that and support him. And that's what Israel needs from the nation. Israel needs us to be there to support them and help them and, and, and aid them. You know, so they can so they can pitch a winning game. Right. So we've got a little time left here. Uh, what do we kind of you know wrap up things on? on uh, you know this 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 question is why does God want people to be holy? Well, I mean, what's the concern to, to God about us being holy, and what's the concern to us about God wanting us to be holy? What? I, you know, I think, there's, I think it has to do with this notion. If you read in the Ramchal's writing, The Way of God, he, he, he lays out this, basically this, this outline of, of, of why we're here. And the reason that we are here. God created human beings so that we could earn a relationship with God. We could earn this wonderful gift, an eternal relationship with God. When he created Adam, he created Adam uh, with, in, in such a way that he was 50% leaning towards, I must pursue spirituality in God, and 50%, I want to pursue the, the animal world. I want to pursue the, the physical world. Right. Our job in, 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 in increasing our piety and increasing a sense of, our level of holiness, it seems, is that we're forever more aiming ourselves more towards God and less towards the physical world or the mundane aspect of living, that we're forever moving forward and towards God as much as possible so that we can actually reattain that level that Adam had and, and perhaps, you know, grow, you know, grow even further beyond that because the, the, the because the, the, the more, you know, Torah we keep in a way and the more that we do and the more we make the Torah part of our everyday life and we make it a part of our everyday thought and thinking process, the closer to Hashem we come. Right. And I, and I think that, that having this priesthood does two things for us. One, it, it gives us a source of Torah. It maintains this, this, this information between ourselves and, and, and God. And uh, it makes it, therefore, this, this goal of having a relationship with God possible for us. And um, I think the, the the other thing that that we get out of this is that uh, is that uh, we, as a, a group of people, are actually able to to go somewhere. That we're able to sort of, in a way, rescue ourselves out of this 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 situation we've gotten ourselves into by turning away from you know God and in the spiritual aspects of our nature and, and going more towards the physical acts, Re- recognizing that there are certain animals that it's preferable to eat than other animals, Right. that there are certain relationships that are more preferable than other relationships, and not only more preferable, but, you know, in some ways necessary, you know. I think that starts more and more realizing, you know, you have to, everything is, is for Hashem. Everything you do 
is, you know, Hashem in some way is involved and that you in some way can serve God the more you dedicate your actions and, you know, towards God. And I think that is the real emunah and the understanding of it at the depths is that everything that we do as, as an individual is in the name of Hashem, if, if you will, for, yeah. for lack of a better way of putting it. And also that everything around us that occurs is from Hashem. And so we have that relationship, that understanding that my existence is only possible through Hashem's work and continued work. I don't know if we mentioned in this show or a previous show, but if, if Hashem were to remove his energy from creation, what would happen? All of creation would be gone instantaneously. Sure. It would cease to exist. So if we kind of come to these understandings, this helps us along in our journey of holiness Mm -hmm. because holiness is always uh, uh, available. And if we do what Hashem has willed for us, how can you be at a reduced state of holiness? Mm -hmm. Because our role is specific in, in Hashem's creation, so there can't be a reduced level of holiness or really a higher level of holiness, even though I, th- I think there probably is, depending on how well you do your role. Uh, I, I think for all of us, we don't have to worry as long as we are following uh, Hashem's commandments, you know, either the Noahide laws or, in the Jews' case, the Ten Commandments. Just by virtue of that, we achieve a level of holiness. Mm-hmm. And we achieve a level of set-apartness, which, as a Noahide, we really figure out what that means. Because when you start talking to other people that you're a Noahide, boy, you find out how set-apart you really are. Well, and also so we don't usurp the role of Israel. You know, a lot of people don't understand holiness, and therefore they, th- they, they seek to acquire whatever Israel has, not realizing that there is a level of holiness that you can have, you know, as a, as a Noahide, right. as a non-Jew. And it's all that Hashem expects of us. I mean, holiness is holiness, and it's truly defined by Hashem. And and just to get back to the the, the definition earlier about being separateness and dedicated and unique, I think that Noahides have that ability too because we're separating ourselves more from the physical world. We're separating ourselves from even non-Jews who don't attempt to separate themselves from from the physical world. So we are dedicating ourselves, and we're becoming more unique. And, and and I uh, agree with that. And there is some debate that's you know probably going to go on for forever. You know, some uh, rabbis that I've talked to said it's harder to to be holy uh, as a Jew because we're commanded to. It's more difficult to do things because you're commanded to. And then you have the other side of the discussion, uh, which usually is from a Noahide, that well, you know, that's what they might say. But uh, I believe that it's harder for us because we are not commanded to. We do it because we choose to. And this is you know the kind of discussion that could go on forever and ever, and is certainly for another show. Uh, and we won't get into it here uh, today because we're, we're closing in on the end of the show. So we're going to have to leave this one here, Adam. I, I hope the folks have kind of gotten a better idea of you know, just what holiness is and you know, what it means to uh, us as, as non-Jews, what it means to Jews as Jews, uh, what it means to the world, uh, and what it means to Hashem and how we view Hashem as being holy. So uh, if you do have any questions, please feel free to shoot us emails at the uh, noahide at israelnationalradio.com. And as always, it's a pleasure to be with you for this hour. We appreciate you being here, and we hope you join us next week. And in the meantime, 
Please, always look to the heavens for your help from Hashem, because, my friends, I guarantee that He's keeping an eye out for you. We'll see you next week. Shalom, Yusia. Cam Oshavav Wild Rose announces that the price of our Machach program for 10th graders is now subsidized and reduced to only $2,000 for four weeks, from July 22nd to August 18th. Now a great program has become even more attractive. If you're looking for a summer experience for your child, building friendships, learning, and having fun with campers from across the United States, call us at 847-674-9733 or visit www.moshavawildrose.org. Israel National Radio is a very unique presence on the World Wide Web, and it's worthy of your support. Even as little as $10 a month consistently given can make a difference. You receive a lot freely from Israel National Radio, so it makes sense to give something back, doesn't it? I can tell you that if all the listeners to Israel National Radio gave $10 a month each, we could dramatically expand the programming. I don't take much time on the program to talk about supporting the work of Israel National Radio, but I think it's important to show gratitude for the resources brought to you each day here. 